All right, would you open your Bible, if you would please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, just as you're uh, finding your way there, um, I want to remind you one more time that uh, this is our final week here at Braemar. And uh, next week we meet, yeah, amen, somebody's happy about that. And uh, next week we're back again at Brantford Christian School. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Service times remain exactly the same, 9 o'clock and 11.15. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week at Brantford Christian School. I was uh, thinking this week, reaching back a little bit into the memory vault and um, thinking of times in my life where uh, God has answered a prayer that has changed my life. The title of today's message is Life-Changing Prayer. One of the uh, memories that came to my mind was sitting as an 18-year-old freshman student in Bible college at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and sitting in the 2,000-seat Tory Gray Auditorium at the end of a missions conference. And to this day, I can't remember who the speaker was. I can't remember what he was speaking about. But what I do remember was that at the end of his message, he gave us a challenge to pray and to ask God how God would use us for the spread of the gospel either at home or across the world for the glory of his name. And so I took him up on that challenge, as did many other students as well. And, and I didn't pray just for that day, just for a couple of days after that, or for a few weeks. I, I actually spent the rest of that school year praying, God, what do you want me to do? Like, God, where, where do you want me to spend my life for the glory of your name and the expansion of your kingdom? And, and what was interesting to me is that God responded to that prayer and I walked into that missions conference that day as an 18-year-old freshman student um, with a major in communications, thinking that I would be pursuing a career in journalism, only to later leave Moody Bible Institute uh, that, at the end of that year, convinced that God was leading me to pastoral ministry. And that prayer, that season of prayer, changed my life, changed the direction of my life, and Maybe you can reach back into your own memory vault as well, and you can pull out those times where you have called upon God, you've cried out to God in desperation, you've wanted God to hear you and to answer you and to respond to you, God, I don't know what to do, God, I don't know where to go, God, I don't know how all of this is going to come together, you need God to do something. God came through for you, and God answered for you, and you can look back on that time, you can look back on that season of your life and realize that that changed your life. That was something of a life-changing prayer. In Ephesians chapter 1, in this next section that we're moving into, Paul teaches us how to pray a prayer that makes one of the biggest changes within our lives. He is teaching us to pray so that our identity in Christ becomes reality within our life. Our identity of who we are in Christ becomes the reality now of how we actually live our life. So have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start at verse 15 and make our way down through to verse 23. Paul writes, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right, let's start with this thought. You can jot this down up on the screen for you. Prayer is the way that we cross the bridge from knowing who we are to living like we know who we are. Prayer is the way that we cross the bridge from simply knowing who we are to actually living like we know who we are. So keep in mind, Paul has spent the first part of Ephesians chapter 1 outlining for us all of the things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all of the ways that our life has changed and the ways that our identity has been shaped because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And he says God has chosen us and God has adopted us and God has predestined us. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God has given us this inheritance that never goes away. God has sealed us with his promised Holy Spirit. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. It's our identity past, our identity present, our identity future. This is the work of the Father in your salvation. This is the work of the Son in your salvation. This is the work of the Spirit in your salvation. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. But now Paul comes to this section beginning in verse 15, and he says to us that prayer is the way that we move from simply knowing who we are in Christ to actually living like we know who we are in Christ. And he says here, when you pray these five things, pray for five requests from God, and this is what helps us move from knowing who we are in Christ to actually living like we know who we are in Christ. So jot this down. Here's number one, prayer request number one. Pray that we will know what God has given to us. This is where he starts. And and you'll notice here in verses 15 and 16 that Paul outlines four gifts that God gives to us when he does this work of salvation in us. Notice this, the first gift, God gives to us an unshakable faith. An unshakable faith. Verse 15, Paul says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So God gives us an unshakable faith. Now, keep in mind that a few years have passed since Paul has seen these Ephesian Christians face to face. He was there when the church started, but a few years have gone by now since he's actually seen them. And he's writing to them now to encourage them that he's hearing stories of their salvation and how their salvation is showing itself now in their faith. Notice this. In the Lord Jesus. That's what makes their faith unshakable. Their faith is in the Lord Jesus. He's talking here about saving faith. He's talking about the kind of faith that responds by surrendering our lives in willing obedience to Jesus Christ. They have this unshakable faith. So does this mean then that 
once you become a Christian and you give your life to God, that you never have those moments anymore where your faith is never kind of wobbly and, and a little bit, feels a little bit off balance, like you don't really know what's going on? Is that what that means? Like, does it mean that once you become a Christian, you never have those moments, for example, like when the disciples are out on the boat with Jesus and, and the storm is raging and the water is pounding and the rain is falling and, and like they're in the middle of a circumstance and they don't know if they're going to get out. Like, they don't know if they're going to survive this, and they're crying out to the Lord. Like, does it mean that once you give your life to Christ that you never have those moments again? No, of course not. See, what makes our faith unshakable is not who we are. What makes our faith unshakable is not what we bring to the table. What makes our faith unshakable is who our faith is in. And that's what Paul says here, your faith is in the Lord Jesus He's writing this letter to Christians, remember, who, like, they can walk out the front door of their house and all of a sudden they're surrounded by this, like, kaleidoscope of religions and religious practices all around them that are all different colors of the religious rainbow. They've got everything out there. And yet Paul's writing to them right now and he's encouraging them and he's saying to them, listen, I know that you live in a culture that doesn't care about God. I know that you live in a culture that's, that doesn't give an ear to what God says. I know that that's your surrounding, but I'm writing to you to encourage you that I'm hearing stories of how your faith is being worked out in your life, that you have this unshakable faith in this unshakable Savior. Our faith is unshakable, not because of who we are, but because of who our faith is in. So God gives us an unshakable faith. Notice this next. God gives us an unqualified love. Verse 15, he goes on and says, and your love toward all the saints. God gives to us an unqualified love and Jesus actually said this is the way that it should be. Remember in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is with his disciples and he's having a conversation. One of the Pharisees comes up and, and they send the very best of the best of the Pharisees. Like This guy's like top shelf and, and they send this guy to Jesus to back him into a corner. And, and to try and get him to say something that goes against the Old Testament law. And so this Pharisee comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, teacher, kind of sucking up to him a little bit. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the entire law? Like, which is the best of the best of the best? What's the one law that every single person needs to do that we all need to make sure that we're doing? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus says? He says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love one another. Love God by placing your faith in God, a faith that surrenders your life to him in obedience, an unshakable faith in him, and love one another, an unqualified love for each other. And then it's like Jesus in this conversation with the Pharisee, he puts the little cherry on the top and he says, on these two commandments depend the entire law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying, Everything that you read in the Old Testament about what it means to be in a relationship with God hinges on these two things. Love God, love one another. Love God by putting your faith in him, surrendering your life to him, this, this unshakable faith and this unqualified love for one another. John says it like this in 1 John 2 verse 9. 
He says, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, then you don't love God like you think you love God. We have this unqualified love for one another. Here's the third gift God gives to us. God gives to us an unending thanks. An unending thankfulness. Notice verse 16. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Notice here that this is not just like a generic kind of thankfulness. It's not like, like just thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for all of your blessings. It's not a generic thankfulness. He actually gets very specific here, and he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. One of the signs that God has done this saving work in your life is that you want to be around God's people. You want to be spending time with God's people. Sometimes we hear these stories of the ways that God works in our life, and and we hear people say, you know, uh, there was a time in my life where I never went to church. And, you know, I would go to church. I was one of those people who went on Christmas, went on Easter, maybe for somebody's baptism, whatever it was. But other than that, I never darkened the door of a church ever, and that's their life. But then God got a hold of me, and and God changed my heart in a way that I can't explain, and I don't totally understand, but he completely changed me so that now I can't wait to get to church, and I can't wait to sing these songs of worship to God, and I can't wait to open the Word of God with my small group, and I can't wait to pray with my accountability partner, and I can't wait to get to church and use my time and my energy to serve other people in the body of Christ and build up the body. I can't wait. I can't wait, I can't wait. And what is it that makes that transition in your life? What is it that makes that transition in my life? That transition happens within our hearts, not because of anybody sitting around you. That transition happens not because of songs that we sing or messages that are preached. That transition happens in a person's heart because God ignites our hearts with a thankfulness for the people of God and what they can bring into our life that we would not otherwise have had God not saved us. So we want to be around God's people. One of the signs that God has done this saving work in you is that you want to be around God's people. Here's the fourth gift that God gives us. God gives us unselfish prayer. Unselfish prayer. Look at the last part of verse 16. He says, remembering you in my prayers. God gives to us unselfish prayer. Do you remember uh, where Paul is when he's writing this letter? Do you remember where he is? Do you remember what his circumstance is? He's under arrest. And it's very likely that Paul has a number of things within his life that he could be praying for at that moment, right? Like he's probably got his own prayer list as long as the cell that he's in. And yet, he takes the time right here to encourage these Christians in Ephesus and remind them that he is praying for them. Do you make it a practice to pray for other people? I'm sure most of us in the room would say that we do. Do you make it a practice to encourage other people by telling them that you're praying for them? I'm sure many of us in the room would say that we do. Do you encourage other people by telling them specifically how you are praying for them? 
Because that's what Paul's going to launch into next. He's going to tell us specifically what he's praying for and what we need to pray for as well. Do you make it a practice of doing these things with other people that God has put into your life? See, when God does this work of saving us and bringing us into his family, there are certain things that start to show up in our life, certain fruits that start to grow, these gifts here that God gives to us, certain things that we start to see happening within us. And we do these things not out of a sense of obligation, not because we have to, not because I got to check it off the list and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. No, God does this work of transformation within our hearts to bring us to this place now where we do these things because we love to do them. That's part of why God changes us. We love to do these things. See, part of the way that you move from simply knowing who you are to living like you know who you are is by praying that we will know what God has given to us. That's where Paul starts. You got to know what God has given to you. He's given an unshakable faith, an unqualified love, an unending thankfulness, and unselfish prayer. Notice this next. Here's uh, prayer point number two. Life-changing prayer point number two. Pray that we will know who God is to us. Pray that we will know who God is to us. So number one, pray that we will know what God has given to us. Number two, pray that we will know who God is to us. Notice verse 17. Paul gets specific now in his prayer. He's telling them exactly how he's praying for them. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So essentially, if you can bottom line this, Paul is praying that the people would have a right-sized view of God. A right-sized view of who God is because that leads to a right-sized view of who we are. And it leads to a right-sized view of what we need. And so Paul says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, notice this, the God of verses 3 through 14, who has done this saving work in your life and has brought you from death to life. I'm praying to that God, Paul says. He says, I'm praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God who has sent his only son into the world to leave the glory of heaven and to come and live a perfect, sinless life and to die in our place on the cross for our sins, to take the fullness of God's wrath and anger and judgment against our sins upon himself, fully absorbed by Christ on the cross. And then three days later, he rises again from the dead, victorious over sin and death forever, so that when we place our faith in him, we are saved and we are given his perfect righteousness. Paul says, I'm praying to that God. He says, I'm praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Like, think about this, the Father of power, the Father of praise, the Father of majesty. Just think, like right now, all creation is thundering the power of God. Like right now, even at this moment, all of creation with the snow and the ice and the ice storms and the cloudy weather and where's the sun, like in all of that, even right now, all of creation is singing the praises of God. And Paul says, I'm praying to that God. I'm praying to him. And so Paul says, I want you to understand this work that God's doing in you and specifically what I'm praying for you. He says that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, Paul uses here three words that are very closely connected. And I want you to see that there's a process here of sorts 
And so let's, let's take it from the end and go back to the beginning. Uh, Paul uses this word knowledge, and, and the whole idea is that we are growing in our knowledge of God. That word knowledge means a right understanding of God. Just a right understanding, a theoretical, intellectual, a right understanding of God. But how do we get that knowledge? Well, Paul says we get that knowledge through what he calls here revelation. And revelation is God revealing himself to us. And how does God reveal himself to us? He reveals himself to us through his word. He reveals himself to us through the power of his spirit. He reveals himself to us ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says knowledge and revelation. And then he says wisdom, that the spirit of wisdom Wisdom is simply the right application of the knowledge that has been revealed to us. Wisdom is the right application of the knowledge that has been revealed to us in its most basic form. Wisdom is right living. Wisdom is just living your life the way that God has told us to live our life. That, in God's mind, is wisdom. And Paul says here, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, So he's praying here that the Spirit of God would do all of this work. He says in verse 17 that the Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he's praying that God will do this supernatural work within us to grow us in our knowledge of who God is. And so how does God grow us in our knowledge of who He is? He does it in real time, right? He does it in the circumstances of your life. He does it in the things that you go through on a daily basis. So notice here, this is so important, notice that Paul is not simply beginning this life-changing prayer by asking God to change the circumstance that he's in. That's not where he begins. And yet, we understand that the New Testament is full of examples, isn't it? Full of examples of people falling on their faces before God and pleading with God to change the circumstance that they're in. And our lives are full of examples of us falling on our faces before God, pleading with God to change the circumstance that we're in. God, my marriage is busting apart at the seams and I don't know what to do. God, I feel so lonely right now and I don't know if this is ever going to end. And God, this diagnosis has turned my life completely upside down and I don't know how much longer I have. I don't know where all of this is going. Like our lives are full of those experiences where we fall down before God and plead with him to change the circumstances that we're in. Those prayers are important. Don't stop praying those prayers. But understand that the primary objective of life-changing prayer, as the Bible is teaching us right here, does not begin with a prayer for God to change the circumstance that we're in. The primary objective of life-changing prayer is that God would change our perspective of who God is in the midst of the circumstance that we're in. That we would grow in the knowledge of Him that we would grow in the understanding of who God is in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. And why can we pray like that? Like, why can you pray, God, help me to understand more of who you are when your life is falling apart right in front of you? Why can you pray like that? We can pray like that because Paul has just told us that we have been given everything that we need in Jesus Christ. We don't need to pray for God to give more things to us as if there are things that we are lacking. We have been given, Paul says, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Like understand, there is nothing more for us to get 
as though we are on some elusive spiritual search for some deeper spiritual life. That's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about coming to the place of understanding, acknowledging, and living according to the reality that Jesus Christ is the strength that we need for everything. Jesus Christ is the wisdom that you need for the decisions that you have to make. Jesus Christ is the power within your life to overcome sin and walk in holiness. Jesus Christ within us, the hope of glory, he is everything that we need. That's what the Christian life is about. Peter says it like this. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Isn't that good news? By his divine power, God, he's already given it to us. Like, you have it. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, right now, you have this. This is yours. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Like, just think about that. Purely because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God upon you, he has come to you, he has saved you, he has redeemed you, he has given you new life, he has rescued you from death and given you new life in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you now have everything that you need in Jesus Christ to live this life. That is awesome. Prayer point number three. Pray that we will know what God has prepared for us. Pray that we will know what God has prepared for us. Take a look at the middle of verse 18. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Pray that we will know what God has prepared for us. He says here, verse 18, that you would know what is the hope Hope, according to the Bible, uh, as the Bible uses it, is not some kind of wishful thinking. Uh, it's not, for example, walking out of here in a few minutes um, and, and just hoping, 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 hoping that it's going to be 80 degrees outside and sunny. Right? Like, it's not unrealistic as much as we want it. It's not wishful thinking. When the Bible talks about hope, uh, here's a simple definition. I don't know if if this is something that I came up with or somebody something else has said, uh, someone else has said, but hope, as the Bible uses it, is the confident expectation of something that is not yet but will be. Hope is the confident expectation of something that is not yet, it's not here yet, can't see it yet, can't hold it yet, can't touch it yet, something that is not yet but will be. And Paul is praying here, he's, he's saying to these people, I'm praying for you that no matter what you may be going through in your life, that God will help you to see that he's using everything within your life right now. He's using everything within your life for a greater purpose. He's using everything within your life to make you more like Jesus. He's, making, he's using everything in your life to make you more like the one who walks with you every single step of the way through every circumstance that you go through. And I'm praying that God uses your circumstances to help you understand that there is coming a day when he will rescue us from this sin-stained world and he will take us into his presence and we shall see him as he is and there will be no more crying. 
and there will be no more pain, and there will be no more mourning, there will be no more disease, no more doctor's appointments, no more specialist appointments, no more, no more of any of the sin and the effects of sin that we see around us. All of this will one day be gone, and one day he will reunite our physical body with our spirit, and we will rule and reign with him forever. That day is coming, but until that day comes, I'm praying that God will help you to see that he's using everything that you go through to realign your focus on your ultimate hope. That your ultimate hope is not ultimately in this life, but that your ultimate hope is in the life to come. Your ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ. Listen, when you live with a greater purpose in your life than just making it through the day, when you live with a greater purpose in your life than just making it through the circumstance that you happen to be going through, it puts all of your life and all of the challenges of your life into a much different perspective. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 29, he says, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. That God's using everything that you go through right now, every circumstance of your life right now, to conform you to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is using everything to make you more like Jesus. Like, God, help us to live in light of the reality of a greater hope to come. Like, God, help us to see what you have prepared for us. Remember what Jesus said? I've gone to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. Like, God, help us to live this life right now in light of that reality. God's using everything to make us more like Jesus. Why is that so important? Because we are God's glorious inheritance. Notice this at the end of verse 18. We are his glorious inheritance. In other words, we are the prize that God will enjoy for all of eternity. Again, not because of who we are, not because of anything that we have to offer, not because of how great or how special we are, but again, because God has set his love upon us, because God has been gracious and merciful to us, that he has redeemed us, he has delivered us, and he has made us a people for his own possession, that when we believe in him, we are his, we belong to him, and he belongs to us. We are the prize that God will enjoy for all of eternity. So just think, God is using everything right now to make you more like Jesus so that we are ready for the day when we are presented to him. So listen, loved ones. Listen, when you're in the heat of the battle and when you're going through one of those circumstances that you don't understand and I don't know how it's gonna come together and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go and I don't know who to call and this is just falling apart around me, when you're in the heat of that moment, we need to come to this place of understanding that we need to focus on something greater. We need to focus on something so much greater than what we're going through right now. Do we take care of what we're going through right now? Of course we do. But even in the midst of that, we put our focus on something that is so much greater. Why? Because this is not our best life now. Like what you're living right now, this is not your best life. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, your best life is still to come. And if you think that this is your best life now, the only way this is your best life now is if you're not going to heaven. And that's a major problem. And that can be fixed today. All you need to do is turn away from your sins. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. 
Lay your life down before him. Commit to following him in everything that you do. And he will give you a hope that is well beyond this life. Pray that we will know what God has prepared for us. The way that we move, just from knowing who we are to living like we know who we are, is to pray that we will know what God has prepared for us. Here's prayer point number four. Pray that we will know what God can do among us. Pray that we will know what God can do among us. Verse 19, Paul goes on and he says, and and what is the immeasurable greatness? He says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. That's amazing. Like that word immeasurable in verse 19, it means to go beyond, to be beyond understanding. And so part of what Paul is saying here is that the power of God is so great that it is ununderstandable. Like we just can't simply fathom how great the power of God is. And he goes on now to tell us what kind of power this is and, and what this power has done. Verse 19, he says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So this power that Paul is praying that we would know, this power that is in us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Does that blow anybody else's mind? Like, that's amazing, isn't it? And then he goes on, verse 20, and he says, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the power that has raised Christ from the dead is the same power that has exalted Christ to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And notice Paul says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, meaning that the work of Jesus in saving us is done. Like, he is seated. He's not getting back up so that he can do more work because everything that needs to be done has been done. And so he is seated now at the right hand of the Father. So the power that raised Jesus is the same power that has exalted Jesus. He keeps going, though. He's not done yet. Verse 21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So he says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Those are different levels of power within an hier- a hierarchy. Okay? And notice here that, that he says that Jesus is not just above all of the other names. He is far above all of the other names. Like, it's not even close, is what he's saying. Jesus has the name that is greater than the name of every person. Jesus has the name that is greater than the name of every politician. He has the name that is greater than the name of every king, every queen, every prince, every princess, every ruler, every dictator, every president, every prime minister. Jesus has a greater name. And and it's almost like Paul's screaming out to them, okay, hey, Ephesians, hey, listen up. Because 
All of those small G gods and the idols that your culture keeps telling you to to give your life to and and to give your time and your energy and your resources to, all of the small G gods that the culture around you keeps telling you to give your affections for, listen, you need to understand that all of those small G gods and those idols can do nothing for you compared to what my God can do for you. And it's almost like he's calling out to us right now, hey, harvest, Hey, Branford, hey, Christians in Branford, you need to understand that all of the small G gods and all of the idols that your culture keeps telling you to give your life to, give your time to, give your energy to, give your affections for, you need to understand that all of those small G gods of the culture around you can do absolutely nothing for you compared to what my Jesus can do for you. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that has been named in this age and in the one to come. It's not even close. So the power that has raised Christ from the dead is the power that has exalted Christ to sit at the right hand of the Father is the same power that has made Christ supreme over everything that there is. And it's that power, loved ones, it's that power that lives in us. Okay, do you see that? Because Jesus lives in us. And it's his power that is in us. And that power is what helps you fight for holiness in your life. That power is what helps you fight against temptation in your life. It's like, I have the power. It's like the gospel according to He-Man, right? I have the power. And Jesus, it's Jesus' power within us. So when the enemy starts to whisper lies in your ear, like, did God really say that? Did God really say that's who you are? Did God really say that's what you should do? Like the challenge for us in this is that we come to this and and we start to realize that there's a whole lot of battles in our life that we fight under our own power, right? Like we try to rely on our own strength all the time. And, And what happens when we rely on our own power? We fail. We fail miserably like every time over and over. You think we would learn, but we don't. And we just keep relying on our own power over and over again. And we fail miserably. Why? Because we don't have any power. Like we read this. We read about the ununderstandable power of God, the immeasurably great power of God. And we look at our own life and we don't have power. We don't have power that is great. We don't have power that is immeasurable. And we end up failing when we rely on our own power, which is why we need to rely on the power of Jesus within us. See, this, the power of Christ in you, this is how you move from simply knowing who you are to living like you know who you are. Okay, it's the power of Christ in you. This is what helps you overcome lust. It's what helps you overcome jealousy, pride, anger, arrogance. It's what helps you overcome bitterness, rage, malice, slander, coarse joking, words that are coming out of your mouth that you know should not be coming out of your mouth. It's how you overcome gossip. It's how you overcome any and every sin within your life. It's the power of Jesus within us. So the way that you move from from knowing who you are to living like you know who you are is by praying that we will know that God can do anything for us. Praying that we will know what God can do among us. One last point. Life-changing prayer point number five. Pray that we will know the rightful place of who God has put over us. Verse 22. Paul says, He put all things under his feet 
meaning God put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him, gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul here is uh, reaching back to the Old Testament to Psalm chapter 8, which is uh, a psalm that looks ahead to the Messiah and how uh, all of these things would be fulfilled ultimately in the Messiah, in Jesus, where all things would be put under his feet. So Paul says all things are under his feet and he is head over all things. Basically, he's simply saying here, Jesus is the final authority over everything. Jesus Christ is the final authority over everything. He's the final authority over believers. He's the final authority over unbelievers. Jesus Christ is the final authority over kings. He is the final authority over all of his enemies. He is the final authority over every earthly power that works against him. Jesus Christ has final authority over everything, and he has final authority over this church, and he has final authority over your life. It's interesting here, Paul comes back to this analogy of the head and the body. He says Jesus is the head, the church is the body. Just think about this for a second in terms of your own physical body. Your head is a big deal right? Because your brain is in your head, and, and your head tells you what to do. Your head tells you where to go. Your head tells you what to speak. Your head tells you how to feel. If for some reason your head were to become disconnected from your body, that would not be a good day. <laughs> that just, <laughs> just wouldn't go well uh, for you. In the same way, the head, Jesus, is over his body, the church. And the head tells the body where to go. And the head tells the body what to do. And the head tells the body what to say. And the head tells the body how to feel. And if for some reason the head were to become disconnected from the body, that would not go well for us. As a church, as his body, that would not be good for us. Now, Think about this. Even if the head did not become disconnected from the body, I can't even believe I'm saying this in a sermon. Like, like where exactly is this going, right? I think I know. So even if, even if the head did not become disconnected from the body, but you were still to do damage to parts of the head, that has the ability to paralyze the rest of the body. And in the same way, if we do damage to the head, by ignoring parts of what he says to us, then it will paralyze this body. That's why we make such an important priority of our prayer meetings. See, prayer meetings is like, it's, it's one of those things where it's kind of like the vitamins that we take to keep the body healthy. That's why we make such a big deal of them. And we have another one coming up this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right here in this building, right here in this room. And, and it's important for us to be coming together because we're at a place right now as a church where we've got some important things uh, that we're going through in the life of our church where we need to understand what the head of the body is telling us to do. It's important for us to be here and, and think about this. Why is it so important? Because as the body... Paul says here, we are the full expression of Christ. He says, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Colossians 1 says that, Paul says that the fullness of God is in Christ. The fullness of the Father is in the Son. So when you look at the Son, when you look at Jesus, you see the fullness. You see the totality of the Father, of who he is. And Paul is saying here that Jesus is Lord over all. He fills everything that there is. He is over everything that there is. He is Lord over your problem. He is Lord over your challenge. He is Lord over everything. And we have everything that we need in him because he fills everything. He is Lord over all. He is what we need. So as the body, we need to stay connected to the head. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul is simply praying, I'm praying that you will know this one whom God has placed over us. You will know his power, that you will know his glory, that you will see his work among you. See, the way that we move from simply knowing who we are to actually living like we know who we are is by praying for God to do these five things within our lives.